0: Pastor Sean, well it's good to be able to continue on with our series, Not a Fan, because Jesus is not after fans, but after followers, committed followers. So today we continue on with part four, called The Comfortable Cross, is our theme for today. Now I'd like to ask you to make a choice out of these couple of things. Firstly, would you choose between A soft bed or your hard floor? Now, I'm guessing you slept in your beds last night and not on your floor, so that may answer the question for you. Or I wonder, would you choose hard wooden clogs or your slippers? I'm guessing you would choose your slippers. You see, these are loaded questions. Yes, I know you know these are loaded, but a very common denominator here, and that is comfort. On the whole, our society places a very high value on comfort and there is a lot of money to be made on products to enhance people's comfort. For instance, these slippers, I used to love going to the Dandenong Market with my uh, my parents as a child and uh, one of the favourite stalls was the, the Slipper stall. They were, they were new, they were fresh and I'd love picking them up and just putting your hands in, in a fresh pair of slippers where the wool, is new, even there's the smell even standing there of the the wool that's there, there's something just comforting about that. I used to just love doing that, quite silly but the truth, because we love comforts, we love things that are soft and cosy. Even camping these days, there's a new phase or craze in Australia at the moment, it's called glamping, that's right, take camping and add glamp to it and you get glamping. You get a a tent that's set up for you that even has a nice carpeted rug, a a soft cushion and so you get all the glories of being out in nature with the comforts of home within a tent. I think the only thing that changes is the tent structure. Everything else within it is beautiful and you pay big dollars to go to certain sites and certain places all over Australia, all over the world at the moment, Uh, well, when you're able um, you pay big dollars to stay in these in these glamping tents, as you would call them. It's because we tend to like our comforts, don't we? It's it's what we naturally lean towards. This was made very apparent to me when I went on a, a mission trip many years ago and we are going to Vladivostok to spend some time with some kids there, with these kids camps. And on the flight over, we would stay overnight uh, in the... Uh, in a hotel. And it was a part of the flight. It was a part of the ticket. You'd be given your ticket and an overnight stay in this beautiful, meticulous uh, hotel. I can remember five five stars in South Korea, probably one of the most and, and nicest hotels I had ever stayed in with a pool and a kingside bed for each per, uh, person we all even had our own gowns Do you know like when you go stay at a hotel and you've got your nice fluffed up gown and your your little slippers and we all i remember the team coming and putting our bags into our rooms and we all came out in our white gowns we thought this was hilarious this is the best thing ever and our little white slippers um, and then we went for a swim you know in the pool we felt like kings and queens and then we woke up and went down to a buffet style breakfast all you can eat, all these foods we had never seen before because of of course it's in another part of the world but then all uh, of the other comforts as well, the American style buffets there with pastry and and, and the, the big breakfast, the big cooked breakfast and I can remember feeling really spoiled and then we got on a plane and we got to Vladivostok which is in far east Russia and we got on this tiny little bus they took us to this campsite out in the middle of the wilderness, to this campsite was, that was nothing like the luxury we had just experienced. And we unpacked our bags into our rooms and the beds there had been there for so long that even the mattresses, the foam in the mattresses had disintegrated so that they weren't really mattresses but just these lumps and, uh, on a wooden base and I can remember sleeping and you'd have to sort of move your body and, and find sort of spots between the lumps in the mattress and even the, the wooden base was more comfortable than sleeping on the lumps. And so the contrast I can remember, it was probably not well thought out because it made you know, the, that transition very difficult. And the first couple of days we didn't sleep very well at all and a lot of the moaning and a lot of the groaning was simply about the conditions because why we like our comforts. There's even a, a TV show, it goes back a couple of years now, but it was one that I used to love watching. It was called Dirty Jobs. Not sure if you've seen any episodes yourself, but in, the, in the, each episode, they would follow someone who would work in, in a filthy job. Bit in all different areas of life, and you could sit back at home, wincing and oh, you know, making all the faces that you do, watching this person who has to go through their lives doing this job, and you can sit there in the comfort of your own home, and it's fun to watch because you're not the one doing the job. You can watch from the comfort of your own place, and that's the re- reality. We tend to lean towards comfort. But there is a danger in loving comfort too much because we can even make our faith, we can even make church life comfortable. We can make the way we do things safe. We can make them, turn them, even our own Christian walk into a comfortable walk and if that happens, then the truth of the gospel gets lost. And in the midst of COVID, they're suffering and seeing a number of challenges as a church at the moment. The comfort of being able to come and meet together, the encouragement being able to come and meet together in one place. We're all spread out watching this wherever you may be and there are challenges in this time. One of the challenges will be that church gets comfortable. What I mean by that is church is done now in your own home. It's done on a nice couch, it's done with a cup of tea or a coffee and there's nothing wrong with that. If I was at home, I'd probably have a cuppa right now. The danger is on the other side of this, we may as a church go, wait, this is far more comfortable at home, why should I go there when I can do this in my own way, at my own time, at my own convenience? This will be a challenge for us as we return and as we're able to come together, because we tend to lean towards comfort. But it robs from the very truth of the gospel when we lean there too much. We've been looking at these words in Luke chapter 9, from verse 23, where Jesus said to the crowd If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, then you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's truth that if we are followers of Jesus, we're invited to follow Jesus and to take up our cross daily. And these words fly in the face of comfort, don't they? I mean, what do comfort-seeking fans do with the reality of the cross? Well, fans of Jesus find a way to even make the cross comfortable, bubble wrap it, as you might say. Even the cross becomes a comfortable idea, and the phrase gets thrown around quite loosely and begins to re- represent some menial, trivial things rather than the reality of the call. The harsh reality of the cross can be pushed into the background. It just reappears at the odd time, maybe at Easter, or at Communion, maybe. The truth is, the cross is a hard sell as well, isn't it? I mean, if you've ever shared your faith with someone who doesn't have faith or they're learning about Jesus Christ, you don't tend to go to this verse that quickly, do you? I know I don't. Because the cross is a hard sell, It's not the biggest draw card to faith, is it? It's not appealing. When we try to win people for Christ, it's so easy to just focus on all the positives and not to give the full picture. We push aside the tough ideas as we try to win people over with the positives of the faith. But by doing so, we don't give the full picture for the true message For followers of Jesus Christ is that we're called to deny ourselves as we follow Jesus. Paul writes how the world sees the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you might like to read or follow along in your Bibles as well. 1 Corinthians 1, from verse 18, says these words. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25 also says, This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. What Paul writes here is this, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who do not believe. It seems foolish to those who would be saved, to those who believe it is the very power of God. In our day and age we must say that the idea of the cross has been diluted. For us it can simply become a piece of jewellery. It's also a symbol we often see in the church. It's it's often on the top of steeples. It's often on the wall, even here on the church. It's become a, a symbol. We've dressed it up. Now it's an important symbol but we've, we've cleaned it up so much that it often loses the reality of what it symbolises because we no longer see people being nailed to a cross. I know I haven't. We don't see people dying on crosses It doesn't have the same power for us as it would have for the people of the day hearing these words because for the Jews, if they came into our building, that is the first century Jews, the Jews of Jesus' time, if they came into our building and saw an illuminated cross, they would think we were sick. The cross was an instrument of torture. It was used to slowly kill criminals in the most hideous of ways. I mean, imagine today people walking around with a a guillotine hanging from their neck on the chain or an electric chair hanging on their earrings. Carl Eidelman shares in his small group series, which we've been doing uh, as a group on Wednesday, he shares these words in regards to the cross, which I'd like to share because they're powerful words. He says this, In ancient times, Crucifixion was considered the worst form of death. The Romans perfected its use as a deterrent for crime and rebellion. Roman citizens could not be crucified. The punishment was only, the wor- was only left for the worst crimes committed by the lower classes. People accepted the practice of crucifixion. They even supported it because it, inflicted upon, it was inflicted upon thieves and runaway slaves. Crucifixion helped keep the peace and curb crime but crucifixion was still perceived to be disgusting. The cross was described by writers of that time with phrases like that infamous stake, the criminal wood, bound in the most ignominious fashion or executed in a shameful way. It was called the most wretched of deaths the form of death was so shameful that there even arose a heretical movement among early Christians who denied that God's son could ever have died on a cross because it was too shameful. They taught that the man crucified was not God's son but someone else. People couldn't even conceive of the cross as being a symbol for those of early faith. And it was something they knew and understood. The Romans would take individuals and crucify them and crucify them on main roads into major cities. If there were rebellions of people, rebellious groups, they would often quash them by crucifying them along a main road leading into a main city, especially on high holidays. And so people would come in and out of cities and see those being crucified before their very eyes, almost within arm's reach as it was just off the road they were walking on. And so the cross was a horrific symbol for those hearing these words. The cross meant weakness. It was the ultimate symbol of weakness. To think that the Son of God would come in the form of a man and be crucified on a cross, that was ridiculous. It's also why fans don't like the cross fans of Jesus, well, they want the perks but they don't want to pay the price. And So God takes what seems to be foolish across. He chooses what has no glory, what carries no honour. He finds the least likely symbol for love and life and he says, I will use that. I'll use a symbol of shame and death and turn it into the power of salvation. In 1 Corinthians verse 22, which we read, again we read, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Who else but God? can take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God can take a cross that represented guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God can take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God can take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and of hope. Who else but God can take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? No one else but he can. What seems as an ultimate moment of weakness is in reality the very moment of God's strength. So in the midst of this, there is one truth for us to take home. That's right. One key idea for us to sit with and it's simply this, that what God did for the cross, He can do for you. What God did with His ultimate symbol of weakness, He can also do for us in our weakness. Here's the truth that when you are at your weakest, you are exactly where you need to be for God to be the strongest. It's the upside down truth of the good news when you were weak you were strong. For God chooses the weak things. God chooses the foolish things we read. Here in one Corinthians 1.27, it says that God chose the foolish things of this world. And if you look at scripture, if you look at the Bible, if you look at the people who have become our heroes of faith, they are often misfits. Now we've elevated them to heroes because of the amount of times we've, we've read the stories but if you look closely at where they were before God came and used them for his purposes, they were a bunch of misfits. Think about it. Abraham was old when God used him. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was humiliated. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor and the least of his tribe. Rahab was immoral. David, who we read, followed God and had a heart after God's heart, had an affair. Elijah the prophet was suicidal. Jeremiah the prophet was depressed. Jonah the prophet was disobedient and ran from God's calling on his life. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least living in the wilderness and peter was impulsive and hot tempered we see martha who worried a lot the samaritan woman who we come across had several failed marriages and zacchaeus well he was downright unpopular thomas has his doubts and even paul had poor health and timothy who would walk in his footsteps was timid and needed constant encouragement. The Bible is full of people who God used because of their weaknesses. So the truth is that what God did for the cross is what he can do for you. If you sit there this morning and if you've ever thought, God can't use me, I don't have the gifts, I don't, I don't have the talents, I can't do that, I can't speak to that person. Surely God God can't use me. He can use someone far more gifted. Well, guess what? You're in the perfect place to be used by Him. For the backwards truth is that God teaches us that, that when we think we are strong, it is then that we should be weak. For it's in our weakness when we acknowledge our weaknesses, when we humble ourselves before God, it's when we put ourselves in this position. We're able to receive his strength to live our day for him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if you skip over to this other passage in 2 Corinthians, the next book, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10 we read, Each time he said, My grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. It's interesting to note before these very words, Paul is talking about a struggle that he's having, a thorn in the flesh, which he calls it, that he keeps asking God to take away from him. But God replies and says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul continues by saying, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) When I am weak, then I am strong. You may have heard those words before. We've heard them often. And even if you're hearing it for the first time, they're, they're words that we don't fully grasp and understand. For It's not natural, is it? To say that it's in my weakness I find my strength, Paul says I delight in my weaknesses. Couldn't you say that? Have you ever sat there and looked in the mirror and said, Wow, these are some failings in my life. I delight in those. It just it doesn't come naturally, does it? Because we don't normally delight in our weaknesses. For our culture, it looks to the strong. I mean, a classic example is a, is the good old job interview. You've gone to a job interview they often ask you a host of questions and one of the popular ones is please share what your greatest weakness is (laughs) and we don't say things like this oh my greatness weakness uh, my greatest weakness is i don't really want this job i just want the money no no we don't say that and we don't say oh my great greatest weakness is that i'm always late if you employ me i'm probably going to turn up late a good couple of times a week um how about oh, I'm actually re- really easily distracted? Too much of myself to my work. We spin it so that our weakness is actually a strength because in our world, weakness is not strength, strength is strength. Paul says, and the upside down truth of the gospel is that strength comes when we realize our weakness. So, if you, if if I, if we want to see God at work in us, we need firstly to desire weakness. To allow God to use us and to use his strength in our humble place of weakness. And So, this is the test for us as we go today. This is the test that stands before us. Will you let your weakness be his strength? Do you trust God enough? Will you trust God to work through your weaknesses, to let his strength be used in you? To do that, we need to let go of our need for comfort, our need to be in control. We need to let go of our need to glory in our accomplishments, to glory in our paycheck. We need to let go of the desire to seek approval from those around us. We need to seek approval from Him and Him alone. We need to let go. We need to come before God in humility, with humble hearts and simply be real and say, Lord, here I am. (laughs) warts and all lord, i can't do this i can't do this in my strength i've tried time and time again but I, I can't god i need you i need you to work through me we need to come in humility and say lord forgive us for trying to do this in our own strength because we do don't we We say that we want God to work in our weakness, but we try and try in our own strength and it's only with I only want to do this with you. I only want to do this in your strength. If it's it's not in that strength, then it's nothing. It means nothing. Request to come to God and to say, Lord, what you did for the cross, can you do in my life? So will you do that this morning? Will you come before God and simply say, Lord, take my weakness and use it to be your strength? My prayer is that we may be a people live on our knees in humility. We live our lives in the strength of God. It's my prayer for this church, for this city, for this nation, for a world that says it does not need God. Prayer is that it may turn and to see him for who he is and recognise that we are weak and that we need him and his strength. We need God to work in us more than ever before. I think even in this day, in this time, many people are tired. With lockdown after lockdown, we've used up all our reserves and we're just trying to survive. And it's an opportunity for us right now to say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I've done all that I can in my strength, Father, I need you. And so as we come as God's people, as we come as his church today, we come with this single prayer, God, may you use us in this time in our nation of weakness, can you use us and give us strength? In the difficulties, in the challenges of work and of home, in the challenges of just getting up in the morning, Lord, we need your strength. Lord, we need you. So, will you humble yourself this morning? Will you come to the one who offers his strength and life as we surrender ours to him let me pray father we come before you this morning we thank you for your word for your truth lord it's not always easy and it often challenges It often hits us right in the depth of our heart and our soul Lord, you call us to take up our cross and to follow you. These are challenging words. Lord, we know that it's in this place that we find life like never before in you. So we ask, Lord, that you may enable us to understand and to take hold of this truth like never before. Father, help us to let go of anything and everything that might be holding us back from serving you fully. So we come now, Lord, in humility and we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we admit that we are weak. That we need you, Lord. We we need your strength in our lives. Especially in this season, Lord. We don't have much left in the tank. Lord, I pray for each person right now that as they come before you, they hold up their hands as they As they surrender themselves to you, Father, as they call out to you, I pray that you will be their strength for the days to come. Lord, I pray that you will be their strength that enable them to rise each morning, to care for children, to homeschool, to care for one another, to be patient with one another. Lord, I pray that you give them the strength by your Holy Spirit, Father, in this time. I pray for husbands and wives who are at their, their end. Lord, I pray that you give them the strength, Lord, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, not in their strength, Lord, but in yours. Lord, I pray for those struggling with work. But each day is just not enough time to get things done because of the changed circumstances. Lord, give them the, the strength they need I, and give them the boldness to go and to live for you. Lord, give each one of us the strength, Lord, to continue to love those around us, to continue to share your good news, Lord, even when people don't understand it, when they might even laugh, they might look at us oddly. Father, give us the strength, we pray, to continue to share Give us the strength to continue to live in our world now, Lord, as sons and daughters of God. May people be drawn to you. The upside-down message of the gospel, may they be drawn to you, Lord, and offer themselves and give their lives to you also, Lord. They may also give up themselves and find life like never before in you. Help us never to be ashamed of this truth, Father, we pray. Help us not to soft sell the gospel but but to share it in all its fullness Father so that people's lives can be transformed which can only be done by you. So we go now Lord into this day knowing that you go with us and we praise you. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus and God's people say Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning or whenever you watch this. I pray that as you go, you may know the very real presence of the Holy Spirit with you. If you're with a group of people right now, you're watching it with family, pause and just share what came to mind as you were hearing these words this morning. Take some time to to pray for each other and encourage each other. Otherwise, go, knowing that God is with you in your weakness. He is your strength. God bless